0: This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Winning Plays Podcast, back yet again as the Celtics prepare for uh, their longest road trip of the year, a six-game swing that's going to be lasting over two weeks. My name is Brian Robb, joined by Ryan Bernardoni. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Danger Cart. Ryan, the Celtics quote-unquote stopped the bleeding last night against a Blazers squad that I think has arguably the worst supporting cast in the league right now of any team around Damian Lillard. Do you, where do you even start of that game to to begin? Is that, did that game make you feel better about anything right now? Or is that just uh, uh, the the Blazers handed over on a silver platter?
1: It was nice to get a blowout, right? It was nice to have a game that was comfortable and doesn't have any real stress in it. And that, Jason and Jalen got to rest. I think they both rested the entire fourth quarter, right? Um, So it was good from that perspective. Like, part of the problem with this team is that they are not blowing teams out, that when they get a big lead, they're letting teams back into it. Uh, Sometimes against teams that we don't think are all that good, like the the Nets, right? Nobody's thinking the Nets are title contenders or anything. And so, to to the way that that game went, um, doesn't make anybody happy. So, just getting a comfortable win makes you feel a little bit better about sort of stabilizing things. I think they had talked about it and we're, you know, we're like, yeah, we need to just get like a good win here before we go on this road trip. You don't want to be on a losing streak already and then go on this giant road trip. So, sort of getting the taking care of business there um, is a positive for for sure. In general, things aren't great, but a win <laughs> is. You know, it's better to be doing this podcast after a win than a loss. It would have sucked yes. if they had lost that game. Like then you'd be really. Sort then of I mean, right. Yeah. Well, let's
0: start. I mean, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks here, um, but I'm curious. To, to kind of dissect more of the bench big situation right now, where it's been um, pretty much a revolving door since the all-star break. Even when Rob was healthy um, in terms of who, who's coming in every night, there was a lot of Muscala out of the gate. Now he's kind of faded to the background. Grant obviously has had his minutes yanked around um, both directions. Probably would have had been potentially another DMP CD last night if, if the blowout didn't arrive in the fourth quarter and now lo and behold Blake Griffin just jumping three guys on the depth chart last night to become pretty much the only big uh playing off the bench last night as uh Joe Mazzolo really leaned into you know small ball for most pretty much all the game there with when riding Sam Hauser much more than he had in recent days what's What's your take on this all right now? Like, is this a situation where this is experimentation? Is this just trying to find okay, who's going to complement, um, you know, the team's offense right now, which has been up and down of late? Like, what what's your read on what's what's kind of going on? And obviously, this is this is not good that you you have to do this much at this point in the season.
1: I mean, maybe it's not good. I, I find it all a little bit funny uh, because we always talk about at the sort of transaction periods, right? The off season trade deadline and all that you talk about, Oh, we've added new options. We've done this and that. And it'll let, let the coach use these players and play matchups. And, and we talk, Oh, you know, why do you have to have one starting lineup? Why can't you have different starting lineups and different matchups and, and all that. And then in general, coaches don't do that. They settle into a stable rotation and they just stick with it. And so when a coach is, I assume doing that and sort of saying, okay, last night we want to play small, but we don't want to get beat up on, on the glass. So we're going to play Blake and Um, because he's, you know, a a better rebounder while still being able to to not have two bigs on the floor. Uh, Then you have matchups where he doesn't want to play Grant for for whatever reason. Then you have a night where he's like, no, Grant's really big in this matchup, so we're going to play him for 40 minutes. So he's kind of doing the thing that we say in the abstract that we want coaches to do and use these players in matchup-dependent things and in, in different ways or ride the hot hand, and maybe that means somebody gets cut out of the rotation. But when that actually happens, we always focus on the players who then aren't playing, Right. So somebody has to not drama. play. We need drama, right? Yeah, this is well, dramatic, but it's, and when I'm watching the game, I'm doing the same thing. I mean, I was texting with you during the game. I was like, hey, is Grant, Grant going to get another DMP? And it's like, I tweeted out. I was like, he needs to play at least for two minutes just to avoid the drama of the, of the talk. Um, but in to a certain extent, like that might be what Missoula is doing, where he's literally just being like, yeah, I'm going to play the matchups um, because it's a philosophy that he believes in. And that means that some nights are going to have you know, Muscala is going to be an important part of it. And other nights you're going to look at it and say, well, you're too slow footed to play with this matchup. And so we're going to go with Grant because he's good at playing against these sort of big scorers who, you know, play off the dribble. And then there's a night where it's, oh, we're playing against the post-up guy. So we're going to have Cornet and like, right. You get these different flavors, but then if you want to use them as different flavors, you then get kind of knocked for being like, you can't settle on a rotation. Are we, uh, you know, so I hope that's what it is. And it's not just pure experimentation where it's like throwing stuff against the wall still at this point. And that it is, there is actually some sort of philosophy behind it in terms of who's playing when. And some of that may have come out when Grant got his DMP and, they, and Joe was maybe a little too honest where he was just like matchups. The problem was, you know, matchups. And there was probably more to it. It's not, it's never a single thing, but there are against that particular team. Like Cleveland is kind of the worst matchup for Grant. Like what's Grant good at? He's good at defending, like I said, big players, players bigger than him who want to score off the dribble. And Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are not that they're a different, they're sort of a more traditional big grant is really good against Giannis and KD and Kawhi. And like that site, that's sort of like more of a superstar players where you want his defense. It's kind of wasted against like Evan Mobley, who's going to run in and jump over him. Right. So I could see the matchup actually being important there. But when Joe gave that as an answer, everybody was like matchups, that doesn't make any sense. Who plays matchups in the NBA? Like maybe that's actually what was happening. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um. So, if it is just experimentation, I would be sort of worried about it. If it's playing matchups, it's kind of weird, but understandable. But it does feel all, a little bit unstable. And you're like, OK, there's not that many games left. Let's kind of lock in here. Uh, and here's my concern on that front, is that the fact that. I, I totally agree to you you in the
0: matchup, like, you know, the calculus there, which this is what you do when you have a bunch of, you, you know, flawed bigs coming off your bench, the fact that the door was open enough where it's like, all right, well, we're not getting enough out of Grant and Mike's was called like all these guys of late to, to open the door for me. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, Blake makes sense for tonight. Like that's a little bit concerning. Um, And it's from, from a standpoint that, you know, this was not, you know, Grant really hasn't had one of these stretches in his career for a couple of years. And, you know, he's dealing with a double injury. He talked, he told us about it first, you know, last month. Um, but that's clearly even though he's not popping up with an injury report, you know, that is playing some type of factor here. But the fact that the door is open for matchup, you know, matchup based rotation assignments at this point in the year being needed just to win games and to, you know, stabilize things a little bit is I guess a little bit concerning in my estimation, I think.
1: No, I, that's fair. And I think to me, all of this is an expression of the larger problem that the team has right now, which is that Robert Williams can't stay on the floor. And when he is on the floor, he doesn't look like the player that he looked like last year. And that that has destabilized a lot of things. Last night, it would not have been Blake, who was playing in that role, if Rob Williams was healthy. The second big, when you're worried about rebounding and all that, would have just been Rob, right? right. And then that would have not looked so weird, because nobody would have jumped ahead. It would have just been Rob and Al, and maybe Grant fills, you know, fits into a role there. You get into a thing, ideally, where it's like Rob and Al, and then an offense-defense sort of estimation on whether or not you want to have Grant or Muscala out there is I think the ideal vision for how this is. And Grant would be first choice in that, but there are going to be matchups where you may want to go Muscala. And then Blake and Cornette are more sort of break glass in case of emergency. The problem is that they're always in emergency. (laughs) There's an emergency. (laughs) Because because Rob cannot stay on the floor. I mean, it's not, again, not a coincidence, I don't think, that the one game in this stretch, or one of the two games in this stretch, where they looked really good against a good team, was the one game, the Cleveland game, where Rob looked really good and bouncy and he looked more like himself from not only getting, you know, he was blocking shots. It's it's also what made Mitchell's performance so impressive. It's of like, he was getting to the rim and scoring over Rob when like nobody else could do anything around the rim when he was on the floor. He was getting blocks and steals and he was looking really more like the player that he looked like last year. And then, he you know, immediately he's back out seven to ten days again. And so the fact that he just can't stay on the floor has destabilized a lot about the big rotation and, and then again, when he is playing, he is not, he, he just does not look at all like the player that he was last year. His impact has been way lower. And so then you get into all these conversations about, well, who should be the fifth starter? What last year's starting line, starting five isn't working really well. How do you shuffle the rotation and get Derek White on the floor more? But again, to me, a lot of that is an expression of like, if you had Rob from last year, who you could make an argument was like per minute, the third most impactful big in the entire league last year, if you had that player, our version of basically Bam bio or Jared Allen or whoever, then a lot of these things would fall into place and make a lot more sense. But because we just can't get that player onto the floor and expressing his game the way he did last year, these other questions are all, I think, in some amount spreading out of that
0: So if that guy is not there consistently, I mean, where are you? Yeah, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. But do you just straight up say, listen, let's let's start Derek. Let's start Derek. Let's bring Rob off the bench, to, you know, at least for the regular season here, to keep him healthy, to keep his minutes down, to, to hope that he somehow, you know, finds this rhythm or, you know, obviously decrease the odds that he gets hurt again before the playoffs even arrives um or is that is it a possibility that that's just the best version of this team this year it's like okay you know we got to really lean into Derek being on the floor with that group and now the numbers are pretty strong with that group obviously that's not what last year's starting five was and then you have Rob coming off the bench and then you don't have to rely on the the poopoo platter the, the remaining bigs and even though you know ideally you're going to use some grant or some other you know one of them in situationally but that maybe kind of cuts off the problem even though it opens the door for other issues
1: for you defensively it's possible that you don't have another choice right i mean he he literally just can't stay on the floor this year he's not playing big minutes he hasn't had a stretch where he's he's played a lot of minutes the i think he's only started half the games that he's actually played in and he's played well under a thousand minutes this year and he still just keeps getting injured every time he takes the floor so When did the team play the best? They played the best early in the year when he wasn't available, and when yes, they were starting Derek, who's been so good this year. And so, yeah, I mean, is that the best version of this team? Probably. Now, there's a question about is that version of this team good enough to do what you know to achieve what they want to achieve? Probably not. And so, is it better to insert the high risk, high reward? Rob Williams, will this you know do we get a run of six weeks in the playoffs where he can actually stay on the floor? And is it like if he can't, then you're screwed anyway? And so, do you just sort of plan for that because what other options do you have that are going to work um i don't think they can win four series without a version of rob that's a lot closer to last year than it was this year even with a lowered level of other than the bucks who suddenly go on a 16 game winning streak and not (laughs) say i mean over the course of 16 games you want a 16 game winning streak but people are still treating them like they're not like a top tier like a sort of better than everybody else tier one contender right now um the rest of the league though doesn't have like the monsters on the map are not as scary as they were in past seasons. Uh, so maybe you can find a way through the playoffs without a really high level Rob, but it's, it's hard for me to to see that. Uh, so yeah. I mean, where do you go? Right. I, you lean further in, into Derek and, and those things. And, and on Grant, I think the one thing you can say with Grant is that the players who he is the best matchup for other than Cleveland are playoff players, right? He's yeah. the classic sort of 16 game player that, that Draymond Green has highlighted. We think, um, in that you're going to run into, I mean, he even guard, I said, big players who score with the ball, like that includes like Joel Embiid, right. Who it looks sure. like we may very well be in a two, three series with, uh, coming up here at some point, hopefully, you know? So even at that, where it's like a much bigger player, he still has a role in his, in, in our defensive strategy against somebody like Embiid. Uh, but if you get Jimmy Butler and then Embiid and then Giannis, like Grant is going to have a role bam with jimmy butler obviously as well like you're, he's going to have a role in in those no matter what's happening with rob it's just like i said like a lot of these things are i think expressions of the uncertainty around what you can get out of robin but you can't cut him entirely out and just say like our plan is to not have him because really? if your plan is to not have him you probably just aren't good enough and so you have to take the risk that you plan uh, that you're going to have him even if you don't really believe that you will right now
0: yeah and so that's Ultimately, it's just in terms of what's the best way to conserve him. I mean, for the rest of the regular season, when he is, he's supposedly going to come back on this road trip. I'd I'd be shocked if it's in Atlanta on Saturday night, but or in Houston definitely. on Monday night, because that's not, those are not games where he'll actually be, you know, definitely not the Houston game. You don't need him in that game. Um, and then with three and four nights, I, um, after that, out West, that's probably a chance for, for him to get at least, you know, two of those games in. But I don't like to your point on Grant, though. Clearly, you're going to need him in the playoffs for the the matchups that you mentioned. I I'm a little bit puzzled just in the sense of now of like you know you're going to need this guy, like yanking the him around, around from a, yeah. exactly. I I just don't see the the upside of that right now, from a like just a, from a mental perspective for him. Put matchups aside. Like bottom line is like if if Rob's not you know where you want him to be. In the playoffs like then you need grant to be at an amazing spot and now if he's questioning his confidence now because he's losing minutes to luke and mike and blake depending on the night essentially or not just getting into a game into the fourth quarter that i wonder about that in terms of if it will have um a lasting impact given his you know contractual
1: situation as well and this becomes a question about joe missoula right and you see the roster my concern with with missoula and I have no way of confirming this, right? It's a common thing for, for young coaches, for, or not even young coaches, for coaches who are taking over as head coaches for the first time, is that they stick too strictly to principles that they have. Uh, it's the, the Mike Budenholzer thing, right? It's like he has principles about how he wants to play. And he, early when he was a coach for a long time, <laughs> early when he was a coach, uh, he had trouble ever sort of getting away from those and has become a better coach as he's learned that you have to be flexible and that um, your principles can be good ones, but that you have to be able to pivot off of them at certain times and so i do wonder with Missoula if he has certain principles about this is how we want to play offense and this is how we want to play defense and this is how i want to use my roster like i said looking for matchups and things like that um this is how i want to use my timeouts right we all everything everybody we can go we'll go to that one next yeah so you take a lot of those things and it's like these are perfectly fine principles that cover you for 90 percent of circumstances Uh, but as the season goes along there are sort of expectations for the players that you're dealing with the the management side of being a coach um, that you need to, to consider, but also that you need a certain amount of flexibility and saying in this matchup, we are going to alter some of our principles in some manner. Now, those things have to be built up over time. It's why a lot of early in career coaches sort of stick to one set of principles that you haven't had two, three, four years with the same players to build up some of the habits that you need in order to then build off those habits and pivot off of those habits, but also come back to them without losing them. And I wonder if some of this is like, I have principles about how I want to use my roster and how I want to play matchups in these certain things and how I want to keep players fresh and I don't want anybody to fall off. And it's like, that's all well and good, but you have, when you get down to 15 games left for a team that is going to be judged by the playoffs, maybe you just need to play Grant Williams because you know you're going to be playing him in the playoffs regardless of the matchups. Completely agree with that. Like, I see the logic behind that. And so that, but that ends up being my concern with Joe. It's like, it's hard for me to tell. This is like, Brad, you know, Brad Stevens in his early career had the same, the same criticism against him. I think it's one of the things that stood out with Udoka is that he was uh he changed a lot during his first year, right? He noticed things that weren't going well and they made big changes. That was also Brad Stevens in his first year as being a GM made big big changes to the roster as, as they were going along to to facilitate that. But uh that ability to notice certain things that are not going well and, and change them and not just say, like, no, 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 time will fix all things, maybe. But in some cases, you do want to have some other cards to play. And and um, it may be time to just say like, listen, there are matchups where I don't love playing Grant Williams, but at the moment we're just going to run with him because we need him. To, same, Similar with Rob, like what the risk reward, like I need to be able to play him in the playoffs, big minutes. So how do I set myself up to be in the best position to do that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's another part of this equation with, you know, you hope that Joe is, you know, kind of sees this evolution and the playing time is one thing. The the timeout stuff I mean I have to we haven't the I still can't get over the the end of the of the game on you know the just the double overtime Knicks game and just the fact of not letting 10 seconds run off the clock because you're you're tied to not wanting to use timeouts in situations like that so like you have to the awareness first both the stuff you're talking about and the you know in game you know tight like guys are worn down one possession game and overtime like yeah it'd be nice to keep those two timeouts but sometimes you just need to use them and you need to be aware of what's going on in the court and you know be out in front of that stuff and so that it's been a few times this year now where he's been you know he's hurt the team just straight up because he hasn't had the awareness in those spots to see this is going to fall apart here and I have a timeout to save it but I'm not going to use it because I thought about it too later or in the case where he does use it he does it and pretty much takes away a, a potential possession for the team so that's something where I think I you see at least a low growth on that front on Wednesday against the Blazers in the standpoint of the minutes were way down for Tatum Brown didn't play the fourth quarter the minutes were way down for Al in a game like that I think like a few weeks ago like at least one or two of those guys come back in the fourth quarter for a meaningless stretch and now we'll see if like the fact that maybe you can go to Tatum now and just say hey listen MVP is like bye-bye for you now like you're not you're not putting up numbers for that anymore it's like it's What's the point? You're not going to win this unless, you know, NB and Jokic and and Giannis all tear their ACLs in the next week. It's just not going to happen for you right now, just based on how you've looked in this last month.
1: So well, the only can... way for them to win MVP is for them to win the rest of their games. Right? Pretty much. Like if they go, if, if they lose one more game and go 60 and 22, then like, and get the one seed, then like it will open up the possibility on the team going on a super hot streak, but that gets facilitated by, at, you know, as Scowl was focusing on a lot yesterday on managing minutes late in the season and being able to be your best in the minutes that you play Uh and not just trying to make, you know, the 40 point games are fine. But if you're the if you end up as the three seed, like you're just not going to be the MVP. <laughs> like um, and you're probably not going to be anyway. You're right. Like, you, you know, just to scale back on some of those things, focus on being finals MVP. Right. That's my thing. Right. Like be the finals MVP that then that'll be cool. Well, everybody will be OK with that. So like at this point, I mean, he.
0: He should have first-team All-NBA locked up, I imagine, barring a really rough 15
1: last game. So I, I think he's pretty much at yeah, this first point. Yeah, first-team it... All-NBA makes sense, right? Um, Jalen probably not going to make All-NBA now. Um, it would it probably – I mean, in a, there's a manner of thought that the best thing for the team would be that he does not make All-NBA and that the new CBA changes the extension rules in a way that he can be extended at 30% instead of having sure. to go to 35%. Like, that would actually probably be the best thing for the team. Yeah. Um, so there's some of that stuff, but yeah, the individual stuff at this point in the season needs to fall away. The team is not blowing away everybody; they're the two seed and closer to the three seed than the one. There's a focus on those goals and not on the individual goals that you can have if you have a five game lead at the top of the standings at the very end of the season. So, um, and those things generally take care of themselves if your if your team is playing really well. On the timeouts thing, I almost want I almost want him to, like I said, like have you have these principles that you stick to, and I would almost be fine with if his principles were like slightly altered to where it was like you get five seconds right you get five seconds and after five seconds if things aren't looking the way I want them to I take a timeout I'm just going to count it off in my head or six seconds or whatever like some amount of time where you say you get this amount of time to see if you can press and and gain an advantage and if you can't I'm going to take the timeout and then the bigger one of the thing that that Brad was really good at which is that as soon as the play gets into a spot where the offense no longer has an advantage you take the timeout So the ball goes to the wrong player in the wrong place. And I don't care if you have five seconds left on the clock. You take the timeout. Right. You're not, you don't, it's just, it's just better to give your your team a a chance to reset instead of having not to pick on him. You know, Grant Williams, take a pump and sidestep three. It's like, if you take the timeout when he catches the ball, because he's clearly not going to get a good shot off. I know you don't have much time left, but you have some time left. And I know in some of these situations, like you said, you waste 10 seconds, like give yourself five seconds. That's fine. But then take the timeout that it's that's what it's there for like it's not always the right decision i understand that there will be times when it doesn't work out for you um but like be a little bit more flexible in the way that your that your principles are are set up for that instead of just being like no i don't like to call timeouts in these circumstances i always think it will be better if i don't
0: yeah so that's i mean that's i think a growing pain situation um and i'm sure that's you know he's probably second guessing himself plenty after going back and watching these games um but when you know for a guy who is so you know very analytics driven just in terms of how he talks to us um you know just seeing the the value of situations like that where even advancing the ball like saves you those five seconds in the sense that sometimes um sometimes
1: so like it's it's sometimes you end up in bounding into the backboard anyway right. i mean the one I, so last i know we're we're up against a little bit of time here I I, again another thing I highlighted on Twitter. Some of it is bad luck. They had six really good shots to win both of those games, and they went over six. Tatum's got a Tatum has a layup. Al Horford has a three. Peyton Pritchard has a layup. Grant Williams has two free throws. Marcus Smart has a tip in. Every single one of them goes out. If any one of them goes in, then they win one of the two games. And if two of them go in, you win both games. And the games don't right like so they. There is an amount of, and I know nobody likes it when I talk about luck. I get these pushback, and I'm like, it's not luck, it's clutch, it's this and that. I'm like, well, they were really good in the clutch before, and they had to make good plays to force some of these games to even get close, and then some of the games they blew leads. It's uh, There is an amount of it that's like, I can't rip him and say, oh, you need to take a timeout here and there, when it's like, you know, if if the free throw goes in, the game is won. If Al makes the three that he's shooting 60% on this year, the game is won, except you miss forty percent of them, and that one missed, and it's like, so there's an amount that I can't. I don't. We don't have a, a monopoly on being right. We may be wrong. We were wrong all the time, right? And it's so you have to. That's where I get back into like principles and flexibility and wanting to be able to be adaptive on certain these things. Um, and I hope that that, like you said, it's growing pains and that that they improve, or that it turns out that we have been wrong all along and it was just bad luck. I don't, I don't really know, but. Um, yeah it's been a not great month and a half i would say on 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 how you feel about this team in terms of title contention and there's a lot of different factors that go in and unfortunately one of them at this point is like eh, we have a first year coach we have some questions about some of these things so um it's 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 the way it is if it all played out, if it was all just a simulation and we just watch the computers run it wouldn't be much fun so i guess that's what we get out of it
0: all right well let's wrap up on this what what's a good road trip now what do you need to see, I mean, clearly from a record standpoint, first of all, and then where are you hoping for the most improvement on either end of the floor to, to, to convince you that, okay, this is a team now that's back on track towards being a, a top flight contender beyond obviously, you know, Rob coming back and looking
1: closer to himself. Well, that's the number one thing beyond that. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, what's secondary.
1: We already covered that one. Yeah. For I'm right. Obviously, everybody looks at it and says that you need to go at least you need to go four and two. If you really want to say that you're a contender and chasing the one seed or a contender for the one seed, you may have to go five and one. That Sacramento game looks really difficult that deep into it. They're playing so well. And also the way they play, the energy they play with that deep into this long of a road trip. You sort of you look get at two days off, like, though, at least before that. Yeah. I mean, it's just how many days out is that you're eight days nine what is it nine days into a road trip at that no, point i think that, that. that's like, a 10th that, day Is that the 10th day when they actually play it's yeah. far into a long difficult the the opponents are not super difficult to be honest but they've it's the way that they play like to be that far into a road trip to go up against a team that's not only good but also is like super high energy and the way that they play well that game looks like a schedule loss even with two days off like uh and you're not you probably aren't gonna win every game. But I mean four and two, right? I assume that's what everybody's gonna say. I'm guessing that's what you're gonna say is four and two. But if you wanna be the one seed, you probably have to go five and one and maybe six and oh.
0: Yeah, I think I think five and one, even to 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 lock down the number two seed with Phil. I know Philly's schedule is much tougher down the stretch, but with and the, the way they're breakers, playing right now, they're, yeah. they're they're they could be knocking on your door. Um, you have the tiebreaker there already. So. you do have the tiebreaker there, so that you do have a little bit of breathing room, which helps, but you still have a game down there. You still have a game in Milwaukee. Um, those are really your only two high profile games left outside of the Sacramento game. But yeah, you just look at the schedule. I mean, Atlanta won't be an easy game, but that they've been a mess. Houston, that should be a walkover. And then you have
1: Minnesota's been so you, up and down. Like who knows exactly. get them? Utah's definitely on the downswing post trade deadline. Right. Um, Portland on Portland, the back to back. That's de- ideal. It's, they, yeah. they're so bad. Like they should, I mean, I
0: don't know if they're gonna have Simons back at that point, but yeah, even probably. so, like that's even on the back to back, that should be one you're able to take care of with the the skeleton crew of big. So, yeah, I mean, uh, if, they're, if they're serious about this, I'd say five and one. Like, I know it, it, it seems like
1: really hard, but if but that's one where if... But I think you're the same with me, right? If you're talking about the one seed, you have to go five and one. If you're talking yeah. about a fine road trip that stabilizes you as a sort of where they are currently, four and two is reasonable. Right. That's it's what acceptable. you're expecting. Um, But yeah, if you want to, if you're going to chase the one seed, then you probably have to go five and one at least. Yeah, so, well, it will be
0: uh uh odyssey for them. Ten days, six games, three time zones, or maybe four time zones, actually, Um, starting Saturday night in Atlanta, and then we'll see them back in Boston in a couple weeks, and we'll be seeing if they are you know, gearing up for a fight for the number one seed or are trying to hold off the Sixers for number two. But either way, make sure you're following Ryan at Twitter on Twitter at Danger Cart as well. Um, and we will be back with you guys next week to see how this trip plays out.